0: Let's hear God's word, First Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near, or the Philistine drew near, and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand. And see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes at Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness?' I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, "'You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, "'for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth.' "'But David said to Saul, "'Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. "'And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, "'I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. "'And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. "'Your servant has killed both lion and bear.' And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, As we come to this portion of your word, we break into a story that is ongoing without having studied the context, we pray that you would help us nonetheless to be able to see its lessons. And Lord, we pray that in seeing the truth of your word contained in this passage, you would prepare our hearts to commune with Christ around his table. We pray that you would call us to repent where we have committed sin. We pray that you would renew our strength where we have grown weak and weary. We pray that you would fill our hearts with joy where sorrow has overwhelmed us. And Lord, we pray that in all these ways, honor and glory would be given to our Savior. In his name we ask these things. Amen. We're continuing with our series Called Bethlehem and beyond. We started in the book of Judges and looked at some characters who either went to or came from Bethlehem in Judah and their variety and contrasts. Then the book of Ruth largely took place in and around the town of Bethlehem. And you might remember that the last word in the book of Ruth was the name David. And you also might remember that when Boaz acquired the hand of Ruth the Moabitess for her to be his wife, a blessing was pronounced on him, on the children who were expected from that union, that they would make, or or that the child to come would have a great name in Bethlehem, that God would bless him abundantly. Well, as we come to 1 Samuel then, the book of Ruth has created an expectation for us. If you're reading Ruth, you hear this blessing pronounced on Boaz, but you don't really hear how it worked out, except to the extent that the genealogy that ends the book of Ruth answers the question. Was the blessing fulfilled? Well, Boaz did have a line of succession. The last chain in that line that Ruth mentions, is David. So when we come to 1 Samuel, if you're just reading the Bible in order, you're kind of expecting to find out more about David, but he's not introduced until chapter 16. First, you deal with Samuel. You deal with how the people of Israel wanted a king. You deal with how their desire for a king was a rejection of the Lord's kingship because their desire for a king was a desire to be like the other nations that were around them. They could see that the other people, the other countries had kings, so they wanted one too. Well, God gave them a king in answer to their request, Saul, who, of course, was a very mixed bag, started off well, but ended badly. And David is introduced while Saul is still on the throne. Because of Saul's disobedience, because of his intrusion into things that did not pertain to him, offering sacrifices, which was not his job, because of his failure to do the Lord's work thoroughly, when it came to destroying the Amalekites, Saul was rejected. So in chapter 16, Samuel was sent to Bethlehem to host a feast to the Lord, but he had a secret mission within that. He was to anoint the next person to be king over Israel. So Jesse, the descendant of Boaz, brings his sons, and he brings the first one, and the second, and the third, and so on through the seventh. But the Lord tells Samuel, none of those, none of those are the one I have chosen. So finally, Samuel is forced to say to Jesse, don't you have any other sons? And he's like, well, there's the youngest. He's out with the sheep. So Samuel says, well, go get him. We're not going to have this feast until he comes. So somebody, a servant presumably, is dispatched to get David, bring him. And Samuel anoints David to be the king over Israel. After that, Saul is so troubled by an evil spirit that his counselors suggest that he needs some music therapy. And so they find David who's skillful on the harp. David comes and plays for Saul and Saul finds relief. But then in chapter 17, the Philistines have gathered their army and Israel has gone out to war. While Israel is at war, David goes back home to Bethlehem and is once again keeping the sheep. But his dad sends him to check on his three older brothers. And that's really where our reading begins today in verse 12. Now, you remember the special feature of this battle with the Philistines was that they had a giant, a man over eight feet tall, you know, estimates of, How much is a cubit and a span vary a little bit? Um, But Goliath was very substantial. Um, If you ran into some very, very tall basketball players, you might get a feeling, but he might've been a head or so even taller than that. An enormous man and clearly very strong since it tells you the weight of his armor. And he's walking around with 125 pounds of armor strapped to him, give or take and with a massive spear that probably most other people couldn't have picked up, let alone actually thrown at somebody. So he's coming out and saying, we don't all need to fight, just send me a champion. Well, Israel has nobody who's willing to go out and face the giant. So they've been doing this for quite a while. The giant comes out morning and evening and makes his little speech of defiance, and Israel just sits around and quakes but maybe there were some side skirmishes, but battle had not been joined. Well, that's where we picked up our reading in verse 12. Now, remember the blessing that was pronounced upon Boaz back in Ruth chapter four. The blessing for Boaz was that the Lord would make the young woman who was coming into his house to be like Rachel and Leah, who built up the house of Judah. In other words, they're talking about having an ample... Progeny, having many children, and then also for the renown, for the fame, for the prominence within the town. Now, Jesse is old, but he has eight sons. So, part of that promise is clearly being fulfilled. There's a multitude of descendants. And he's hosting Samuel the prophet. One of his sons has secretly been anointed the blessing pronounced on Boaz is being fulfilled. God's purpose is advancing through Boaz and Ruth, through Obed, and now through their great-great-grandchild, through Jesse, and ultimately through David as well. Think about what Jesse was able to contribute. From his household, three men of war have gone off. From his household, contributions of food are helping to sustain the army. And that's before you get to David, armor-bearer to the king, musician, and now he'll emerge as the champion of Israel. Has the blessing on Boaz been fulfilled? Well, partly. It's not fully fulfilled yet. But those few words that the kind people of Bethlehem pronounced on Boaz on the happy occasion when basically he was announcing his engagement, when they were acknowledging and confirming that. What a fulfillment those words had. What an amazing multiplication beyond what the people who said them probably had in mind. Well, we never know how much fruit will bring from the seed we plant. You know, you plant and sometimes things go well and sometimes things go not so well. But imagine well you think about in, in our in our folklore, in our history, Johnny Appleseed. How many apples are apple trees are here, there, and everywhere, because one man went around planting apples here and there. I know he didn't plant them to eat. I know he planted them for the purpose of having cider, but nonetheless, how many apple trees are the result of that one man. Now, probably the ones he actually planted are mostly all dead, but the descendants of those apple trees continue. Well, in the same way, that little blessing pronounced on Boaz and his household, such a small thing, such a little seed, But what great things came from it as God took it up, as God heard it, as God multiplied it, as God extended it beyond what those people originally thought. When we look at things in that light, we understand the exhortation of Ecclesiastes to sow generously to sow in the morning, in the evening, not to withhold our hands. You remember what Paul says, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but the one who sows abundantly will reap abundantly. Let's be abundant. Let's be fruitful in good works, in prayer. Yes, a blessing is a kind of prayer. But in other things we can do, in acts of kindness. Let's not be stingy. Let's not say, well, I've done my good deed for the day. You know, even if there's other good deeds I could do, eh, I'll pass. I've already done one for today. What a ridiculous approach. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But the one who sows abundantly will reap abundantly. See what God can do with a little thing and don't hold back. Do a bunch of little things. Who knows in a year, in 10 years, in 100 years, how that may pay off. It paid off. Jesse had eight sons. It paid off. One of those sons became the king of Israel. It paid off. He provided the template, the pattern for another descendant, for the Lord Jesus himself. So the first thing we see is how that blessing on Boaz's household had an abundant fulfillment, and that should encourage us to be a blessing to others as well. You never know what the Lord will do with that. But then we also have to see how David was prepared for his role. David of Bethlehem became prepared to be the king of all Israel. Now, part of his preparation was addressed in chapter 16 when Samuel identified him and anointed him, when he was set aside already. But... There was also preparation in terms of his character. And that's something that really emerges in this chapter with Goliath. It it emerges even in the way that he's back and forth to Bethlehem. Now, he's gone from Bethlehem to court. He's worked for Saul. He's played his harp and brought Saul relief. But when circumstances change, he goes back home. And he goes back to keeping sheep. David was a shepherd, like Moses before him, like Jacob before him. And he did not consider that demeaning or belittling work. He was very careful with the sheep. He has told us in what he told Saul, how he acted in defense of the sheep. A lion comes. David doesn't say... Oh, man, you know what? It's just one sheep, and that's a lion. Lions are dangerous. The lion can have the one sheep. It's fine. I'll save my own skin. He didn't do that when it was a bear. He went out and he rescued the sheep. He put himself in harm's way in order to deliver the sheep. Or even when he leaves the sheep in order to obey his father, in order to take food to the army... And to check on his brothers, it, it mentions this. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper. David is never irresponsible with his sheep. He's never, oh, they'll be okay. David knows better than that. If he has to be away, he leaves them with somebody else. He puts somebody in charge of them. And you might have noticed in the reading, his older brother made that a point of reproach to him. Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. Wow. David was just doing what he'd been told, and this is how his older brother encouraged him. But you notice the implication of that question. With whom did you leave those few sheep? First of all, you're not very important. You only had a few sheep to look after. But second, you're being irresponsible. Who's taking care of them? Well, if David had chosen to get into an argument, he could have said, well, I left them with such and so who is keeping them. Because he had left them with a keeper. Now, all of this was part of David's preparation. How did David learn to be king? Well, he learned to be king by being a shepherd. They're not so different in some ways. The king also needed to be responsible, needed to put himself on the hook for the well-being of the people under his care. The king needed to be willing to put himself in harm's way in order to protect his people. David needed to be willing to act for Israel as he had acted for his flock of sheep. Well, what actually happens? Well, nobody else is standing up to face Goliath, but David is willing to go out there. A young man, a stripling, as it says in the authorized version. And he's going up against the giant, the giant who has terrified everybody else, including David's three older brothers, including Saul, who you might remember, was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel, apparently including Jonathan. Only David would go out on this occasion. Now, David did not do that because he was proud. David did not do that because of the insolence of his heart, as Eliab says. David did not do that because he was so desperate for his family to get to stop paying taxes. I'm not saying that's not a nice perk. Obviously, it's always a nice perk. That's why Saul was offering it. Like, I'll give you money. I'll exempt your household from taxes. You can marry my daughter. Saul is really trying to motivate people to get out there to think, well, the reward is worth the risk. And it's not working. It's not enough until David comes along. Well, David has a unique quality here. He understands that this giant, that Goliath, is not defying the Israelites. He understands that this giant is defying the Lord. He understands that it's not sword and spear and shield. It's the Lord who gives the victory. David Has faith, in other words. Now, a lot of times the application of this chapter will be something like, well, whatever the Goliath in your life is, encounter it by faith. All right. There is certainly some room for us to say, well, of course, we're not David, we're not facing Goliath, but... We do have difficulties, we do have problems, we do have situations. How are we supposed to tackle them? Well, we're supposed to tackle them with a zeal for God's glory, with a trust in his word. How did David know that it was right for him to put himself forward on this occasion? Well, I think you can look at those three factors. You can look at three things that emerge in the passage. One, it was very clear there was nobody else. Other people had had all this opportunity 40 days of opportunity to volunteer, and nobody had taken it. Well, that's a good indicator that David is okay to put himself forward, that it's not pride, it's not jumping ahead of other people in line. There is no line. So David can go to the head of the non-existent line. There's also the reality that David recognizes this as being about God's glory. That is his motivation. And there's also the fact that David, by faith, recognizes that the battle is the Lord. So trusting on God, acting for his glory, David puts himself in harm's way to protect the people of Israel because there's nobody else to do it. Now, when you look at it in in that general light, if there is something that is your responsibility to do, If there is something that God's glory calls upon you to do, if you're acting for the benefit of others and you're proceeding by faith, then go for it. And if those characteristics aren't true of you, then seek the Lord, seek wisdom, make sure you're not putting yourself forward. But maybe what really needs to change is that your faith needs to be strengthened. Maybe you need to understand things From the standpoint of what makes for God's glory and what doesn't. In other words, what I'm saying with all of this is there is a practical application to your life from David and Goliath. Not that you're David and not that your problems are Goliath. But there is something for us to learn about how we face difficulties and dangers as Christians. Well, we think about what's our responsibility We think about what is for God's glory. We think about what is for the good of others. And we try to tackle those things by faith. But in those characteristics, there's something more significant. David was prepared to act in this way. As David was enabled by faith to tackle the lion and by faith to kill the bear, so David is enabled by faith to protect Israel and attack Goliath. Those qualities are revealing that God has prepared him to be the king of Israel through the work of shepherding. Well, of course, the blessing on Boaz's household was not fulfilled just with David. That looked further forward to a greater fulfillment in Christ himself. Christ, who is a shepherd and a king who is both things to us. Listen to these words from Psalm 78. At the end of the psalm, he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. He changed being a literal shepherd for being a political shepherd. Well, the Lord Jesus is our great shepherd, our king. Those are two different ways of describing the same thing. And he also had this character that is seen in David. In the book of Isaiah, he's represented as looking around, wondering that there's no man, amazed that there's no intercessor. And so he himself arises to bring salvation. What happened? David gets to the army, and nobody else will step forward. So David does it. Well, there was nobody else to redeem the people of God. So God the Son put himself forward, not in pride, but... Because who else could do it? What motivated the Lord Jesus? Well, shortly before his crucifixion, what does he pray? He says, Father, glorify thy name. Christ laid down his life for the sheep. He put himself in harm's way, as David did for his sheep, as David did for the army of Israel. So the Lord Jesus did. For all of us. And the battle really was the Lord's. Earth and hell came against the Lord Jesus with their champions, with their forces, with all the power of darkness. And everybody else was afraid. But like David went out in the name of God to face Goliath, Oh, the Lord Jesus went out to face the evil spirit behind Goliath. The Lord Jesus went out to face all our spiritual enemies and destroyed them, overcame them, conquered them in the name of the Lord. David was just a first installment. The fulfillment of the blessing on Boaz came to its expression When the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, laid down his life for our salvation. That's what God brought about from Bethlehem. Amen.